Thank you for joining us for another episode of Transforming Lives, the Donor Alliance podcast. I'm your host, Claire Tallon, and joining me today is Dean Hutto. How are you today, Dean? I'm doing great, Claire. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for being here. Um, Thank you for inviting me. Yes, we're excited to hear your story. Um, So Dean is a double lung recipient, and he has been an advocate with Donor Alliance for eight years. Um, Dean, what was life like pre-transplant? What was your journey to transplantation like? Well, I, where it all started is, believe it or not, playing softball. And I tore my Achilles playing softball. And during the rehab process, I thought these physical therapists were trying to kill me. Uh, I could not breathe, and they're they were telling me we're not really working you that hard and so they suggested that I you know kind of go ch- get it checked out and it was springtime and allergies were really bad my allergies seasonal allergies uh, I have a, a, a struggle with and so that was my my first stop was with the allergist and he ran a bunch of tests determined that there was really nothing on his side that, uh, you know, he could do and suggested that I, I go get a, um, an x-ray of my chest. And I was not home five minutes before the, the telephone rang and it was this allergist saying, I don't like what I see. So that really kind of started the journey. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a pulmonologist uh, that my primary care doc sent me to that was young, was out of, out of school, you know, a couple of years, new practice, and he had connections and had studied at University of Colorado Hospital, which as it turns out, was a huge benefit uh, for me. He, you know, during, during that part of the journey, I got to tell you, sitting in his office, going through some of the testing and all, you know, my wife accompanied me on virtually all of the appointments. And he, at, at one point, you know, suggested that I get a a lung biopsy because he had a, a feeling of what what my diagnosis was. So I did have a, a lung biopsy and it confirmed that I had interstitial lung disease. Well, when he announced that to me, I was, we were, both my wife and I were taken aback. I mean, we just, just really didn't expect anything like that. And so, you know, time went on, you know, my breathing got worse. I was on oxygen uh, at 24-7 at, at that point. And, you know, I was in his office for a, uh, an appointment one day, and, and he said, you know what? He goes, I think you'd be a really good candidate for transplant. And I got to tell you, that was, that shook me to my core. I mean, it really did, because I did not even think about that, did not expect that. And I don't really even remember the ride home from his office that day. Yeah, I imagine that was definitely yeah. just another whole layer of what you were already experiencing and going through and the life changes just leading up to that already. Yeah, it, 
and you know, being on oxygen 24-7, your life is pretty much consumed by oxygen management at that point. And my wife was always pretty sneaky and uh, always managed to, to hide a few extra canisters of, of oxygen, whether it be in the, you know, in the vehicle or you know, wh wherever we were going, uh, she always seemed to, to have some extra oxygen, even in her backpack. In fact, uh, I, I remember one time we decided, I've got three boys, and we decided to go see the Zac Brown Band at Red Rocks. And being on oxygen and going to Red Rocks was, you know, initially I was a little hesitant, but then, you know, my wife was like, you know what, the boys will carry backpacks, each of them will have tanks in them, you'll be fine. And literally going to the bathroom, I would consume one tank of oxygen. So it was a really good thing that, <laughs> that she was well prepared and that our boys uh, you know, came well, well armed with yeah, oxygen those, for the sure. The stairs at Red Rocks are brutal, so I can't imagine And we happen to be right in the middle. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so it was either, you know, go down to the bathrooms or go up to the bathrooms. Yeah, it's like I can't imagine that extra layer because I struggle on a good day walking up and down those stairs at Red Rocks. So that's great that everyone rallied behind you so you could enjoy that concert. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was fun. And so one of our appointments with the pulmonologist, you know, he, he said, have you thought about, about transplant? And I was like, yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about it and, you know, like to, to know a little, bit, a little bit more about it. And he picked up his cell phone right in front of us and called the head of lung transplant department at University of Colorado Hospital and told the doc that, he goes, I, I think I've got a pretty good candidate for you. And that really started things quickly. Um, within a, a few weeks, I was going through, you know, a week-long uh, testing of my entire body because you know, I think they really want to make sure that, that your body is able to accept mm -hmm. the, the, the new lungs. And... That was, that was what, you know, I, I didn't expect all of that, you know, to happen so, so quickly. So I went through the, through the program and, you know, at that time, they, you know, really kind of want to see how you are psychologically, you know, if you're going to be able to, to handle something like this along with physically. And I mean, I, I, came through with flying colors on, on all ends. And, you know, what they suggested is that I start pulmonary rehab at that time. And it wasn't mandatory then, it, it is now, uh, which I think is, is awesome because what it did for me is I was a little overweight, not terribly overweight, but I, I lost about 30 pounds in, in about a two-year period and on oxygen uh, while exercising and towards the end on 15 liters of oxygen while exercising, which, you know, you can't do that with a cannula. I had to wear a mask to even exercise, which, 
that was something that I you know, felt strongly about. I felt that I, I needed to prepare my body for it. And in the, in the end, I mean, that was really something that I think benefited me. And I, I completely understand why they make it mandatory now. Uh, it's, it's really a, really a good idea. Do you think that helped with your recovery from the transplant? I really do. In fact, you know, once, once I got the call, um, things, again, happened really quickly because it's just a matter of hours at that point. Yeah, what went through your, what, two questions. So what was it like once you got listed, kind of what did life look like that day to day? Because that call could come in at any time. And then Well, I received a call from my coordinator the day before Thanksgiving telling me that I was listed and added to the UNOS uh, list. And boy, things, you know, you're in your head, I tried to stay as positive as I possibly could. Um, tried not to think about when it's gonna happen, knew that it would happen at some point, and just tried to prepare my body for what was about to, to happen. And that's where you know, pulmonary rehab came in and really helped me out. Another thing is I joined a harmonica group oh. at the hospital and still am part of the uh, harmonica group. We met virtually through, through the pandemic and just started meeting in person a couple of weeks ago. Very cool. Yeah. And playing the harmonica is you'd think is something that's really difficult to do. And I think for some people it, it, you know, it might be, but you know, you, have you ever painted by numbers? Yes. When you were a kid or an adult? (laughs) More as a kid, not so much lately. (laughs) So playing the harmonica is pretty similar to that is all of the music that we had uh, is, was by numbers and there's numbers one through 10 on the harmonica so you either blow into the harmonica on a, on a positive number or a negative number is a draw. And I had no idea. It, it was it's such good exercise for your lungs and for your diaphragm. Um, this harmonica group consists of lung patients and caretakers. Um, so it's, it's really a, a, a variety of, of people. Um, and like I said, I'm, we're still involved with it today, enjoy, enjoy doing it. It's also a bit of a, um, um, you know, a, a group that, you know, gets together and just shares ideas. In fact, the name of the group is the Harmonic Cats. <laughs> We've often been referred to as the Harmonic Chats. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're talking about Harmonic Yeah, it is a bit of a support group yeah, as well. And that's great. Yeah, it re- really is. But in the, the time that I was waiting for the call, which at the very beginning when I was listed for transplant, I wasn't quite sick enough uh, and they really want you to hold on to your lungs as as long as possible because 
as you know, there, there are no guarantees on the other side. And so when I did get the call, I was at an event in the industry that, that I was in, um, in the consumer electronics industry, with about 200 of my closest mm. friends. <laughs> and I was, it was at the Wincoop Brewery up on the third floor, which I could not even climb the stairs. That's how desaturated I would get. So I ended up taking the service elevator up to the third floor. I was not at this event maybe but 20 minutes and I happened to look at my phone and there were messages from my son, messages from the, the hospital and I called my son first and he's like, Dad, you've got to call, call the hospital. I think, I think this is it. So I talked to, I called the hospital, talked to the doctor and he's like, you know, I think we've got some, some pretty good lungs for you. And at that point I knew my life was was really about to, to change. And trying to stay positive throughout that entire two-year period was something that I really focused on. I tried not to go down that rabbit hole, did not look at, at the internet, did not search things out, um, just didn't want to know. And just tried, again, tried to stay as positive as I, as I possibly could and really prepare my body for what was about to happen. So when I got the call, uh, a friend that was at the, this uh, event and his wife rode with me to the hospital and it was basically a straight shot right down Colfax mm -hmm. to University of Colorado <laughs> Hospital from downtown. And I had called my wife on the way there. She was at work. She immediately left work, uh, of course, and ran home to get a few things and one of the neighbors came with her to the hospital. Well, by the time, by the time uh, uh, I got called down for surgery, the waiting room was filled with friends, neighbors, and family. How nice. Yeah. I, I've had such incredible support through, throughout all of this, which is really, really important. Um, having a, a, a wonderful caretaker in my wife has always kept an eye on me and mm -hmm. <laughs> even even today you know when nine o'clock rolls around have you taken your meds yet have you taken <laughs> your meds <laughs> seems like she also made sure you lived life to the fullest with that concert and didn't let it hold you back from experiencing life well and that is something that I I think you can't you can't stop because once you're once you're not in motion, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it, uh, what's that um, inertia is in, uh, yes, it's really hard to come back from. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And you know, one of the the other things to to think about is uh, in the past I've heard um, get get busy living or mm -hmm. get busy dying, mm. and you know that's really really true with you know with a, a transplant patient that. You know, there's so many things um, going on that you have to pay attention to. And, you know, I, I, I think it's, it, it really makes the journey, you know, that much, <laughs> that much more meaningful. Um, 
you know, having family there. In fact, I was supposed to speak at an event uh, called Moving Mountains, uh, which takes place the, the first Saturday of October every year. And my transplant was the, the first week of, of September. So of course I, I could, not, uh, could not attend. And my son Jake, who was a senior in high school, said, Dad, you know what? Can I do it in, in your place? So he did a presentation on what life was like through his eyes. Oh, wow. And I've seen the video of it, and he had the, the crowd in tears. Was that the first time you had really heard his perspective as yes. well? Yeah. Yes. That must have been a lot of emotions behind that. There's, there's no question. And, you know, the support that, that I got from the community, from the high school that, that our boys went to, um, was, was just absolutely incredible. Our neighbors, uh, as it, they started a food train, I mean, we had food. We did not have to buy food until the beginning of the next year. Oh, wow. And literally <laughs> a freezer full of, of food. Um, and still today, our, our neighbors are such, such a great support mm -hmm. to, to me, to our, our kids. Um, our youngest son right now is studying abroad over in Germany, and our friends and neighbors really helped him out a lot uh, to get there and to, to be able to enjoy what he's doing over there. Um, but getting back to you know the hospital and mm -hmm. when post-transplant, they immediately take you to ICU. You know, my surgery was a little over 10 hours. Wow. And immediately take you to ICU. I was in ICU about 36 hours. And that 36 hour, at that point, they had me up and walking. Yeah, I was just gonna ask, what was the biggest change, like immediate post transplant? Well, it, it took as long to prepare me for the walk as, <laughs> as, as the walk was long, right? Yeah. So, you know, all the drainage tubes, all the, the different uh, IVs and such that they're in your body. And uh, it was, they get you going. And again, don't want you to, to sit. And one of the things that getting back to pulmonary rehab and preparing my body, so when you first, the first time you try to get out of bed in the hospital, the, the first intuition is to put your hands down on the bed and give you a mm -hmm. lift up. Well, with over 100 staples in your chest, that's, that's not something you can, can do. So I was fortunate enough that my core was strong enough to be able to stand up without using my hands. Yeah, your body just went through a lot. So all that preparation beforehand really was vital. Yes, and you know, I, I was in the hospital 10 days, which is quite remarkable. So if you think that about it- That seems so short. <laughs> I know, going, walking into the hospital on, on eight or 10 liters of, of oxygen and walking out 10 days later on no oxygen. Wow. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, have you been back to Red Rock since? Yes. And how did the stairs feel? Oh, uh, they're still tough, <laughs> but... Still uh, <laughs> a little bit easier? Yeah, a lot easier. A lot easier, yes. So what has life been like post-transplant? What have you... Cause it, so you were listed for about two years, and it seems like right towards the end, 
was it a slow progression towards being feeling worse and requiring more oxygen or was there can you remember like a yeah no it definitely over that two-year period Mm -hmm. I went from you know just going on to oxygen 24 7 and you know a very low low amount and as I mentioned towards at the end there I was on you know eight to ten liters just to get up and walk Mm -hmm. um, which you know, you really have to pay attention to your oxygen stats mm-hmm. because your the rest of your organs really depend on yeah. oxygen to, yeah. to operate. And a lot of folks, you know, don't don't pay a close attention to that. One of the things that I think is important to know is going through the transplant process, the transplant team really made clear that you're trading one big problem out for a lot of little ones. And in my mind, that's a pretty good trade. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I, I know I wouldn't be here today. Mm. So my transplant was back in September of 2014. And, you know, I've written my donor family. I think about my donor a lot. Um, I've not heard back from Mm -hmm. them and hopefully someday I would um, because I'd like for them to know how my life has changed and the things that I've been able to to see. Um, I I have a son. I actually have four sons. I have three sons with my with my wife and one from a, in a previous life. And he just made me a grandfather. Oh, congrats. About two and a half weeks, or about a month ago. Oh, little, yeah. little baby. Yeah, and oh. he's out in Southern California and I'm going out in, a, in uh, less than, uh, about 10 days. And I can't wait to hold that little guy. Oh, that's so exciting, yeah. that's. And to think of that, you know, that was something that probably oh I know wouldn't have been possible right and and to see how you know our kids have grown into men and uh, their careers and our one son Jake that I had spoke about earlier he's an airline pilot uh, and and again I never would have would have seen that happen mm-hmm. so life post transplant is it's not a magic cure mm-hmm. by any means. Um, there are challenges all the time. Um, I've gotten sick a multiple amount of times within the first three years post-transplant. I was sick a lot. Mm-hmm. And when I say sick, that's either getting a cold or picking up a virus. Um, and essentially, that's going into rejection. Right. And there's no easy way for them to treat that. I can't take medications that most everybody else can take uh, to cure a cold or, or things like that. Uh, the only way that they can treat rejection is with massive amounts of, of steroids. Mm. And a lot of steroids. <laughs> <laughs> and it really messes your life up for a little while. Right. But 
I've been fortunate enough to, to not lose any lung function throughout all of this, which is pretty, pretty amazing considering what I, what I have been through. Mm -hmm. Also, some of the, the things, and I don't know if they're related to the transplant, but I've torn both rotator cuffs. I've had my right shoulder replaced because uh, I tore it a second time. Uh, I've had you know, multiple issues with my skin, which that I think is directly attributed to the meds that I've oh, taken. That's interesting. Yeah. And you know, I've had multiple Mohs surgeries and um, which aren't necessarily fun. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I look at the, the big picture and you know, think about my donor a lot, the donor family. I just I'm the, the gift that I received, I felt that it was really important post-transplant to, to get involved, especially with Donor Alliance. Uh, I've been an advocate, as you mentioned earlier, for over eight years. Um, I volunteer at, at the hospital. I'm a co-chair of a patient family advisory council at the hospital. I volunteer with the Lung Transplant Foundation in their mentorship program, and be able to spend time with patients that are pre-transplant and kind of give them an idea of what's going on and what to expect. And that's something that I really wish I would have had. Yeah, there's just so many unknowns. Yeah, it's, and there's always unknowns. Everybody's body is different, everybody, you know, Every set of lungs that you know are, are recovered is different, um, so it's they they try and match it as best best they can, and and uh, you know you deal with some of the the things that come along with that. Um, so I guess to to wrap things up, I. It's hard for me sometimes to, to articulate how incredibly indebted I am to Donor Alliance, to my donor, to the donor, my donor family. It's just an incredible process to, to go through and being able to, to give back is something that I felt was, was really, really important. Well, we really appreciate you sharing your story and the perspective that you've given on just even how important it is to stay positive and to bring that positivity to a situation that, like you said, you might not be here to see all of these great outcomes. And, um, you know, we really just appreciate hearing about that. And I'm sure our staff in the hospitals who work on the donor side, as well as the transplant centers that we're connected with, appreciate your perspective as well. Well, thank you. Thank you. Is and there? They, and I got it. I have to tell you that my experience at the hospital was absolutely incredible. I've, I've still not had a bad experience at that hospital. Yeah. That's great. Is there anything, you know, as you said, we'll, we'll wrap it up because we've been chatting for a while and it's been great. I could talk to you forever, but what would you like to say to any of those hospital partners, the nursing staff, the physicians that were, that are listening, um, that we work with both on the 
donation side and the transplant side, if you had a takeaway from your experience? Well, I think the big takeaway is that hopefully they understand the difference that they make on a day-to-day -day basis. And I know their jobs are very difficult and but so rewarding. Again, I, I know I wouldn't be here without their help. Yeah, and all the people that in the hospital side that came together and you mentioned all of those people in the waiting room and the, the food train, just the ripple effect that has. With, it's not just your life that they're impacting, but all of those people that you've come into contact with on a daily basis. Yeah, no, no question, no question. Well, thank you so much, Dean. We appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Transforming Lives, the Donor Alliance podcast. If you have any questions or ideas for future shows, please send us an email at podcast at donoralliance.org.